Hello, and welcome to another special presentation of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. I'm Stephen Schapansky from Radio Free Scarl. This special episode will be focusing on the 11th edition of the Chicago TARDIS convention that took place in suburban Lombard, Illinois, during the last weekend of November 2010. There were several guests from Doctor Who, Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Adventures in attendance, as well as several Doctor Who podcasters. Over the next hour, we'll hear from Ken Deep of Doctor Who Podshock, as well as several interviews conducted by Philip Cerna of the Adventures in Time, Space, and Music podcast. We'll even hear snippets of the Doctor Who podcast panel that took place during the convention. But to start off, here is my chit-chat with Ken Deep from Podshock. Hello, I am here, joined by Ken Deep of Podshock. Hello, Ken. Hello, Stephen. And you, Ken, were at Chicago TARDIS this past weekend, were you not? I was. I, I got in at the crack of dawn this morning when, as of this recording, and, uh, and I'm completely wiped out because, as always, just another fantastic Chicago TARDIS. Those guys do such a fantastic job. Um, the people there are, are very nice and very generous the way we'd always talk about the way you and I gush on our respective podcasts about Gallifrey and and how mellow it is and it's not pushy or anything like that. It's not a cattle pen. Is the same can be said for Chicago Tardis. Um, the staff there are just extraordinary. Is it a? Uh, it, it's a week weekend long convention, which is sort of rare for those in the UK to experience. We sort of have them all the time here in the uh, in North America. Yeah, and and it's over the Thanksgiving weekend here in the states, which is a a blessing and a curse. The curse, of course, is that airfare is jacked up sometimes, and you can still get some deals if you're willing to leave in unusual hours, which is what I did. Uh, I stayed till Monday and left early Monday morning, which was cheaper than flying out Sunday night. Uh, but they have a Thanksgiving dinner on the Thursday with the if you buy one of the deluxe packages, they have a, a meet and greet, I think, starting on Thursday. And a few things that kick the con off. It's almost a three and a half day convention that way. And it's um the the hotel is beautiful and so it's a nice if you're not gonna spend Thanksgiving with your family, if you wanna spend Thanksgiving with your extended Doctor Who family. It's not a bad thing. Right, because going to these conventions isn't necessarily to see the um, all the the, the, uh, the celebrities, so to speak. It's also to sort of meet up with, with fellow Doctor Who fans. Am I right? Yes. Uh, that's something that's... I'm coming to appreciate more now. I didn't. I don't think I ever really appreciated that as a kid. But but yes, one hundred percent. You go. You, the usual attraction for getting on an airplane and flying, you know, hundreds or thousands of miles away is to see a particular guest that you might want to meet in person or get an autograph or take a picture with. But the side benefit and the, and equally as important is just hanging out, lobby con, the bar, the at the convention, the. The, the cosplayers who get together and interact and, and just have such a fantastic time. There's something to be appreciated that happens completely outside of the convention, other than the fact that that's the excuse that everybody's getting together. 
So is is it kind of like Gallifrey in that um, that the celebrities who are there sort of mingle about in the bar with all the fans as well? It's it's not as pronounced as Gallifrey, and I think that has that might have a little bit to do with first of the lobby in Gallifrey is huge, and it's L.A. and and L.A. always has such a laid back atmosphere. The hotel in Chicago is gorgeous and has a nice lobby, but it's configured a little weird. In that not everybody is together in the same place the way you would have in L.A. So you have a little more nooks and crannies where people will go sit in a chair over here and have little conversations over here. And the bar is long and narrow. So um, the celebrities do hang out and they do mingle. And you and last night I saw people taking pictures after closing ceremonies with whoever was standing in the lobby. And it's still everybody's still so accessible. And that's really what it's all about and that's the difference between and as i always describe the cattle pen conventions right. where you're you're like at disneyland going back and forth back and forth zigzagging till you get to the person you want to sign and standing in a lobby just saying hey uh, you know i just want to say hello and and, and being able to have a, a a one-on-one conversation even if it's only for 10 seconds there were there were a few guests there um which ones did you manage to see or run into or have a have a chat with my holy grail for going was Terrence Dix because of all the conventions I had been to in my life. I, for somehow, I never managed to see him. Even you know, in, in the major conventions where you'd think he would have been one of the attendees. So um, it was pretty important for me to, to get a chance to meet him and ask a few questions and stuff like that. And so that was my main guy for going. He signed a copy of the Target novelization of state of decay and uh, i'm like a three-year-old about it it's like christmas morning to me you know um and then fraser hines is there and louise jameson and and other people who i've seen before but the stories are always fun the personalities are always wonderful and they're always very gracious and the the cast of characters that we know with the writers and some of the people from behind the scenes, you know, you're going to get Rob Shearman there holding court and Tony Lee there with the waistcoat on and the whole bit, you know, all that fun is there. And Fraser came out with the, um, the shirt from the two doctors and the five doctors. And I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. Uh, Seeing him wear his original costume. The fact that it still fits too. Oh, oh yeah. No, he's in great shape and, and, um, and he, he looked looked fantastic, and, and he too was holding court. Yeah, uh-huh. and of course you were on stage in a couple of different guises. You were on stage interviewing Ian McNeese. Yes, uh, actually, I was interviewing him on the main stage, which was fantastic. I found that that out about that a few days before the con, and that was great because he is just fantastic. And 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 I think the the misconception on the flight there was um, reading his bio and get, trying to get in, into uh, knowing a little bit more about his, his history. And I'm thinking this guy is just this serious actor. He's going to be so stuffy, right? You know, he's this, you know, very proper. I, I play Churchill. He's the funniest guy. He's just a great personality, great energy and, and an absolutely charming human being. I can't wait to see him again in LA I think Sean has him on our live show, the, the Podshock live show on the Sunday, uh, as one of our guests. And I and I couldn't be happier. And this was great because I kind of had a chance to, to talk to him about that and, and prep him for, for what we're going to do. And, and a fascinating guest. You'll have a great time. I didn't know. 
until I was pr- preparing for the interview that he was in Ace Ventura on top of the Dune miniseries and all the, the fantastic things, Doc Martin that he's in currently and and a, and a bunch of other shows. So fantastic. And he brought he brought a cigar and he brought glasses like Churchill had and just really ate it up. And, and I did not expect that from him. And he's just fantastic. He bought a little toy Dalek while he was there in the dealer's room. It's just the coolest stuff. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, you were also on the uh, the podcast panel, too. You, would you believe they put me on a podcast panel? <laughs> Amazing. I, you know, it's just so stereotypical. <laughs> no, no I, it was great. I love the podcast panel. I, I, I always know when I see the schedule come out in advance, I always know exactly where I'm going to be. On a on a Sunday afternoon, you know, oh, podcast panel, twelve noon. That'll be me, right? And uh, we had a, a great panel. We had a, a few different podcasters there, and we were joined at the last minute, to, much to all of our surprise, uh, by Nick Briggs from from the Big Finish podcast. As if that's the only thing he does. Of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he does that Big Finish podcast, not counting the fact he's the voice of the Daleks, or you know. Uh, working on Big Finish or all the, the 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 plethora of amazing things he's done over the years, the Myth Makers, which I I complimented him on both in the panel and 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 privately. That you know the Myth Makers was a a, a great interview show, in depth one on one interview with the legendary people who've made Doctor Who. They really were. And I always watch those as a teenager and as a and as a young guy. Um, just always admiring the fact that you could make an episode out of an hour with Jackie Lane. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, kudos. And that's what I tried to bring to my own podcast. I like interviewing people, like hearing their stories. And he was one of the forerunners and really documenting actors, uh, Doctor Who actors outside of the, the normal press junket that they might be doing and, and getting their stories. Yeah, I've seen a lot of them. They were they were very cool. I thought uh, I think I said as much to Nick Briggs the year before. Actually, I think I talked to him about that too. So, and he brought a lot to the panel. We we talked a lot about podcasting, and each of the podcasters made some suggestions um, about Big Finish, and we spoke very candidly about our thoughts on things. And he was uh, sincere in his listening to them and writing down some notes and and just some general fun things about the podcast what what we think are their strengths and what we think uh, that you know what could make it a little bit better because they have a, a a fine resource they're an audio company and the company makes audio they have a great opportunity to have the podcast not simply be an infomercial for their products that it could be something a little more substantial and in so making the, the stuff they do real for the fans, and and in in particular focus to some of the uh, the illegal downloading and stuff, which they're they're having a, a very big struggle against because they're they're losing money because of that, and it's hurting the the ability. You know, they're not in some gigantic skyscraper with personal jets and helicopters and whatnot. They're a bunch of normal people making a normal salary, creating Doctor Who for fans, and really that's what it is because other than hardcore Doctor Who fans, no one's really buying that. So if they're getting killed with with people illegally downloading and we had a very open 
discussion about that. And he's like, you know, one of the things we try to do is make people, you know, humanize ourselves in the podcast that people understand that there's a small little office with only a couple of employees and the actors come in and we do our best to deliver a, a cool thing to the fans. And I, 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 I found having, I found myself having a new respect for, for, for everything they do, especially as a big Finnish fan. Cool. Uh, how were the parties? What parties? <laughs> There's always <laughs> parties around a convention. There were always parties. There were a few room parties. There was always LobbyCon, which is really sort of the Chicago, we should really say it's Chicago LobbyCon compared to, let's say, LA LobbyCon, uh, which is unique in its own right. The after party for Toby's Moth Ate My Doctor Who Scarf was the stuff of legend. It's like Rolling Stones backstage, you know, after a show kind of after party. It went on till five in the morning. Oh, wow. People were being wheeled out of there. Um, Fraser Hines reenacted the gunfighters using Nerf guns, uh, things like that. Just absolute mayhem. Did, did you, uh, speaking of Toby's show, did you see it uh, as it went out live again? I did. I went for my. This was my second time. I saw it yes. in L.A. and this was my my second chance to catch it, and it was fantastic. I was very surprised to learn that Nick hadn't seen it before, and you know he and his wife just had a baby, and he was very moved when you get to the part about you know um, Toby's son, yeah, and and passing down being a Doctor Who fan, and um. And it, it, it is not a, 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 any secret. I mean, he spoke about it, but he was he was genuinely moved by it. I know Fraser enjoyed the show as well. He was there in the crowd, and um, it, it was really a, just a, an, another fantastic Toby being Toby and doing his show and 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 speaking from the heart and saying things that we all feel. You know, p- p- fleshing it out. I would like to see it again. I mean, uh, the, he's. I think he's done about eighteen final performances of that. So, uh, well, he's, it's, yeah, it's uh, much like the Rolling Stones and the final, final, final <laughs> tour, or the Ozzy Farewell Tour, which has been going on since '83. Right. Um, yeah. This, so the the Moths Farewell Tour goes on from now till you know 2014. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll take but, that. But people still want to see it. Absolutely, and he's and willing so, enough to to like say, "Yeah, I'll perform it." Sure, you know why? And not? he just you know he he just put a book out with with Rob, uh, Rob Sherman. They they have um, running, uh, running running through quarters, yeah. Volume one. Um, I, I I kept I busted their chops about it, saying it ends at the war games. I feel ripped off. Where's the rest <laughs> of my book? And like, no, no, don't worry. We've got four other volumes or whatever coming. <laughs> Oh, I go great. Uh, I did read part of it on the plane, and it's just—it's great. It's a great book. Yeah. Um, are you locked in for life? You going back next year? Yeah, I think I probably would go back next year. It, yeah. it puts a little bit of stress on me because my my other half, you know, it's tough to to say I'm I'm missing Thanksgiving because I usually wind up working Thanksgiving because I go I take Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off. But it is uh, just fantastic, and and I really commit to it kind of late. But I and I, I think I think I'll probably wind up being back. I almost had it clinched, and I was telling you this off air. I almost had it clinched when I I almost got a voucher from the airline, you know, because the, the the flight was sold out, and they said, you know, if we would be willing to give you a, a, a credit, 
if you were willing to change flights. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. And, and a few other people had already signed up and they said, well, we only have enough people that we need to make things happen. And if they would have given me the credit, it would have covered my entire flight for next year. And I would, it just would have been a done deal. I mean, it would have just been hotel costs a year from now. And that's the, the hotel there is very reasonable. It's $99 a night uh, for a gorgeous hotel. Right. And I mean, the hotel is, is relatively new, which is really nice. It still has that new hotel smell. <laughs> I understand that smell all too well. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a convention you'd recommend to others, though, yes? Absolutely. 100%. They're just a, a great convention. If if you're unable, let's say you are someone who resources don't allow you to go all the way to L.A., but you're uh, an hour drive from Chicago TARDIS, oh, absolutely. You're going to get the flavor of what American Doctor Who conventions are all about. In, in Chicago. It's a it's also a worthy continuation of the long traditions of Chicago conventions. Because of course they had the big ones back in the uh, early to mid mid eighties there, didn't they? They did. They had the Spirit of Light conventions and they had the Visions conventions and now Chicago TARDIS. And they're they're all different, of course. They're different organizations and they're done for different reasons, but but they have a tradition of, of they have a very strong fan base for Doctor Who in Chicago and this is their flag that they fly, and, and good for them. Cool. Perhaps one day down the road, Ken, I will see you there. That would be fantastic. And I, I, I'm hoping to get, you know, uh, last year we went, I went and I was, this has happened before, the only podcast or one of only, I think, two. I, I, I can only go by what, I, what happened at the podcasting panel. It was me. Mm-hmm. It, was, it might as well have been Ken Deep one-on-one, which is one of their their panel names there uh, because it was just me there, which was fine. Uh, you know, it was a great chance to sort of just do question and answers about podcasting and a great chance for me to meet some people that I wouldn't have met in LA who, you know, don't, don't go to LA, but go to Chicago this year. We had, I think five or six people on the panel next year. I'm sure it'll be even larger, hopefully be even larger. And a few people who uh, David, from one of the Doctor Who podcasters who was there, who was there, he started the Flash Forward podcast last year, and he came up and we were talking a little bit, and when Flash Forward met its untimely demise, he said, well, I want to keep doing a podcast, and he started a Doctor Who podcast. And so there's another uh, case of someone being um, finding enthusiasm from going to the convention or going to a podcasting panel and deciding to do it on their own, which is what our community is all about what the Doctor Who Podcasting Alliance is all about. Cool. Sounds like a good time, Ken. Thanks for coming on the show today to talk about it. No problem. Did you do, do you want to want a sort of scoop in there? Can we throw a scoop our way? Absolutely. It was talked about at the convention, but I know they're very excited. Nick Briggs mentioned that um, that Tom Baker is on deck for uh, for Big Finish. He, he he is he is as committed as Tom Baker gets to the actual product hits the shelves but he's he's very sincere and enthusiastic about doing his first big finish audio and i and and that will that will definitely um catapult big finish to the next level whatever that next level is for them i think that's really going to be the most exciting thing in, in 2011 for them wow that is something to look forward to cool thanks ken no problem cheers
Dr. Philip Cerna is the host of a relatively new Doctor Who podcast called Adventures in Time, Space, and Music that focuses on the various incidental music composers that have featured in Doctor Who over the years. And he went to Chicago TARDIS, mic in hand, to snag some interviews for the Podcast Alliance as well as for his own podcast. What follows are some edited highlights from some of these interviews, but you can catch the full versions of these and more in the coming weeks on Dr. Phil's podcast. Just Google Adventures in Time, Space, and Music or find it on iTunes. First up, it's Phil's chat with Big Finish executive producer and Dalek voice artist Nick Briggs. Now, I'm sitting here with Nick Briggs, who is, who's, let's say, resume with Doctor Who goes is quite long. Who was your first Doctor, and when did you become interested in Doctor Who? I don't remember a time when I wasn't a Doctor Who fan. I was born in 1961, so Doctor Who wasn't on when I was born. I remember William Hartnell. I remember all the Doctors. I remember watching them. Um, I d- so I can't, I don't know. I, d- I don't know That's the answer brilliant. to that question. That's great. I just, Doctor Who is just hardwired into me. It's part of my life. Now, kind of, now kind of going back to the audiovisuals to kind of segue yeah. towards Big Finish is, how did you become involved in the writing, doing the sound design, and playing the Doctor in the audiovisuals? Because that must have been a labor of love. It certainly was. It was to do with uh, not getting any work as an actor after leaving drama school and sort of um, retreating to my comfort zone <laughs> uh, down where I came from near Southampton on the south coast of England. And uh, there was an old school friend of mine, Nicholas Layton, who was involved with uh, audiovisuals who just started do- doing these Doctor Who plays. And I heard the first one and just thought, you know, the guy playing the Doctor was terrible. And I think that everyone, everyone thought he was terrible. He wasn't an actor. He wasn't even pretending to be an actor. There was a guy called Stephen Payne who later on ended up running the publishing empire that, created, that uh, had uh, Starburst and mm. TVs. And so somehow uh, my friend Nicholas Layton and me talking to Bill Baggs, who was running the audiovisuals, got the idea that I should play the Doctor. I said, well, I'm an actor and I'd love to do it. So that's how that came about. But, you know, I'd always written Doctor Who stories and recorded my own Doctor Who plays throughout my childhood with me playing all the parts. Um, But, yes, I just got involved in it all um, because I didn't have a job. And uh, and I learned an awful lot, and it's all paid off brilliantly, you know, in in my professional life, actually. Well, now, you've finally been able to be involved, at least in a spin-off of Doctor Who and Torchwood on yes. television and Children of Earth. Did you have a great moment of excitement doing that? I mean, I know that you probably were very excited getting to be Daleks and Cybermen yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Jadoon and all of those things, but did you ever have a moment, like, do you feel that, yes, I'm finally on screen and they're getting to see me as me versus... Um, well, you know, I've been an actor for many years and done loads of theatre, so, you know, I'm used to being seen, it's just not in Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and I've never been a big fan of Torchwood, but I was really happy to get the job, and it was a really nice part, and we had great fun doing it. Yeah, yeah it's good. You know, when, the, when the series came back in 2005 and they called you to do the Daleks and the Nesting, what was your first reaction? Oh, was, uh, the, the, they, it was the Daleks that asked me. The, the Nesting came much later. This post-production, probably? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, I was just... I'd heard the room. I'd heard rumours that they were thinking of asking me, and then it seemed like an eternity before they actually did. Uh, and I was just over the moon. And about the first or second person, I think it was the second person I texted, was David Tennant. <laughs> funnily enough, to say I am the voice of the Daleks. 
yeah, ex bloody Terminate. He he wrote <laughs> He said, "Together we will conquer the world." <laughs> and then you know, and then the, he was the doctor. Then so he could. was the doctor. Yeah, it was incredible. But yes, it was uh, it was great. You know, I'm a massive Doctor Who fan. I've always loved the Daleks. Wow, it was incredible. You know, it's changed my life. Guards to the big finish, you did the Earthshock style sound for sort of Orion. That's it. I mean, I added some ring modulation to it as well, just to make them a bit more rasping. But yeah, it did. But then you kind of went a lot more retro with the, um, in the Cyberman audios and later kind of incorporating Tenth Planet, Invasion, Real in Space. Like, has it been exciting getting to do all those different kinds of Cybermen? Oh, absolutely. Really, really exciting. Although the funny thing about it is that, you know, when I was about to do the Cybermen for the new series, Graham Harper didn't know what sort of Cyberman voice, what the Cyberman voice should be like. And so I sent him examples of all the ones I'd done for Big Finish, all the different styles. And he, and Graham, of course, uh, didn't realise that these were all me. He thought they were just clips from old TV programmes. And he was telling me how rubbish they all were. <laughs> oh, that must have been crushing. Oh, no, I thought it was hilarious. I was just laughing. I think he didn't quite understand why I was laughing. He said, oh, that one that sounds like... There's a, a British politician called Ken Clark, and he thought that the, the Tenth Planet uh, Cybermen sounded... <laughs> sounded like him. He said, I, I can't, he said, we can't have any of that crap. <laughs> but but your tenth your tenth planet Cybermen are brilliant. By oh, the thank way. you. I love doing them, which is why I do for the now the standard big finish Cyberman is a, it's a bit like the tenth planet one, but with a different ring modulation on it, and more like the new series ring modulation really. Now the ring modulator, I mean the one that you've used for the Daleks and the Cybermen recently, is it been the same machine you've had for a long time, or have you had to replace it, repair it? Um, I used the same one for a long time. And then one day I thought, well, if this broke, I'd be screwed. So I bought another one. And then almost immediately the first one broke down. I sent it off to repair and I thought, what if the other one breaks? So I bought another one. I've got three now. Next up, here's Rob Sherman, writer of the Series 1 episode Dalek, as well as a new book called Running Through Corridors, where he and Toby Haydock review every single Doctor Who episode broadcast to date. Here's Rob with Dr. Phil. I'm joined today with Rob Sherman, who Hello. is here at Chicago TARDIS promoting a book with Toby Haydock. I am, and another book, and tons of books, because I keep on writing books now. So yes, <laughs> um, I actually now have more books in my library than books not by me written by me. Does that make any sense? Probably of course not. it does. Yes. Now, but, yes. Now, now, fans, of course, are most aware of, of your big finished work, such as Jubilee and your writing for the new series Dalek. Yep. And um, also, um, Big Finish has done a great job promoting your love songs for the shy and cynical. Yes. No, that's been really good fun, actually. Yeah. It, it keeps on winning awards. I mean, and, and I say that really, really immodestly, I know, because I'm very arrogant about it. But it's very odd. It's a book of short stories, which just has now won... I think three major international awards, and I'm now about to produce my new book for them, which comes out in the spring, which is going to win no awards. I mean, that's the intention, is I write a book which actually no one cares about. You know, I mean, Big Finish are great, and without them I would never have been doing Doctor Who at all. So, I mean, I, mean, I, I, I always feel so proud that, although I'm not doing the audios anymore, that I still actually have an involvement with these guys, because who are, you know, people like Nick Briggs and Jason and Gary, you know, great friends I've known for about ten years now. And my, my first audio was... Yeah, it came out in 2000, so that's now, yes, it's 10 years old, which is rather rather weird to think of that. Actually. Who was your first doctor when you first saw the show? Oh, well, uh, I was born in 1970. I was too young for Pertwee, 
So Tom Baker technically is my first doctor, but I was actually too scared to watch him. So um, my younger sister watched Tom Baker, but I, I'd watched the opening title sequence, and you'd see Tom's face coming out of that blue time tunnel, and actually it used to scare me. I mean, Tom looked scary. I just thought, scary man with an unsmiling face and big eyes. So I didn't watch it properly until he left. So Davison became my first proper doctor when I was 11. And, um, and, 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 I, and I love Davison. He's, uh, and Troughton is probably my favourite doctor now, because I've gone back, obviously. But, uh, but Davison, I think, is, is sort of my doctor. That was the time that I really cared about the show the most, and that's when I was sort of... That's, that's at me at my most fanboyishness is when I was watching Davison's Adventures. Besides the fifth and second, do you have any other favourites? I think Matt Smith's really good, and that isn't me trying to be... Um, ooh, BBC policy. I, 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 think, I think Matt Smith's amazing. Um, I think Matt is, is so naturally eccentric, and he's constantly interesting to watch. Um, I like them all, basically, though. Um, I really like Chris Eccleston, because I work with him, obviously, but also I, I think he's a really good doctor who ensured that we still have a series now as well I think he, he, he I think he, he, did, he, did, he did the job so well and with such sort of sincerity so I really like Eccleston a lot and as you hear on the podcast we've now been invaded by a lot of noisy people but that's, but that's also good you see because they're all wearing fezzes and, you <laughs> and know, fezzes and are cool as we know fezzes are cool and also um, you know it's important that people enjoy themselves at conventions it shouldn't just be old people like us Phil because, because, because we are old <laughs> Um, we are grizzled and grumpy. And we've lived through the, um, the wilderness years where there was no Doctor Who. Yeah. That seems long, long time ago now, doesn't it? Yeah. It seems odd to believe, actually, now. See, I find it hard to believe it ever came back, still. Because I remember for so many years thinking it was dead and it would never come back. And then when I was on the show for that first year of, you know, with Chris Eccleston doing it, I just thought all the time, this is our last chance. And if we get this wrong, it'll be dead forever. And I, and I, I couldn't help, because I'm... You know, naturally very, very cynical. I thought... Um, shy and cynical. Shy and cynical, yeah. Or, order now. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I, I kept thinking as we were doing that, I just thought, I think this is a great series, but I don't know whether there's the, there's the audience out there for it anymore. And I could easily see that we did this show that I was really, really proud of. Because I, th- I think it was a really good year that first year. But also that the audience wouldn't follow us on to it. And, and yet they did, and... And it's, it's going strong now. I mean, it's, it, it's so popular. And it, it, it's huge in the UK. It's, it's hard to explain how huge it is. I mean, obviously, it's still something, I think, of a cult here in the US. But, but you know, but it is... Everyone in, in the UK knows it and loves it, it seems. It's it is extraordinary venture. Well, it's extraordinary now seeing um, music students of mine, who actually I think have a few wandering around the convention today, which is yeah. weird for me, who being into the show, because, you know, for a lot, for a lot of fans in the US who grew up with it, you know, you're kind of a social outcast for liking Doctor Who. And oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I mean, I mean, when I was at school back in the 80s, um, and I was a big Doctor Who fan, as I say, during the Davison years, and you wouldn't tell people at school that because you get beaten up in the playground. Whereas now I genuinely go to schools and, I, um, and as I say, and, and genuinely see children who are popular because they happen to have more Doctor Who books than other castmates. You know, Doctor Who's become cool. I think that's weird. Do you it was th- never cool when I was a kid. I'm really jealous of these children. Well, is it, is it cynical to worry that, that it could you know, flip over again and be as fickle? Oh, look, I mean, who knows what the future holds. I, it is, 
I spent the first few years of the new series thinking, well, look, we can't get any bigger than this. Next year will be the time people turn on it. But they, but they never have. And they haven't... If they don't do that when David leaves and Matt's taken over, which was the, the real... Because David was so popular. But Matt's massively popular too. And, and I think, actually, that there's... There is no reason to believe that it won't stay as popular as it is for a very, very long time to come. Now, the book you have coming out with Toby, can oh, you yes. just give us a brief overview of that? Well, we had this idea that we would watch Doctor Who again. All of it. You know, every single episode. Did you watch um, reconstructions of missing ones or just listen to the audios? No, we, 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 we watched recons that, that we got hold of as well. So we tried to get you know, as much as close as we got to the original experience. And we watched maybe two or three episodes a day and email each other, trying to just be trying to find why we loved them you know because every single episode of Doctor Who we, 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 we'd said to ourselves in the pub that we loved the show all of it because we have because we do because because it's so much part of our childhood now so even things that we find a bit dull and we don't think really work we still love them so we thought watching things like Time Fight again or the Time Monster or Time Lash any, anything with time in actually um, that may not have a very very good reputation there's still something in there that we that we should cherish. So watching it all in order and seeing that story evolve, but actually looking at it only from a positive point of view, was our sort of mission. So we, we had a year to do it, and we, we watched From An Unearthly Child to the broadcast of End of Time Part 2. We did that all in a year and wrote it up, and it's, and it's become possibly four, definitely at least three books. And the first one's just come out now, and that covers Hartnell and Troughton. And it was good. It was great fun to do. Um, and we learned a lot, actually, about ourselves, I think, as well as the show. So, Was there anything particularly surprising you both found during this exploration? Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, I think if you go into stories, I mean, I think, you know, if you watch things like Underworld, which is, you know, a sort of monumentally badly received Doctor Who story, but if you go into it thinking, why am I going to love this? As opposed to, why is this so awful? You find things to love. So you, you find stories all the time that you... I mean, I mean, I went into Planet of the Daleks, the the, uh, the John Pertwee one, thinking, I don't like this story, and actually, I found myself really loving it as it went along because it was, um, it was sweet, you know, and it, it it sort of it feels actually like a rather naive Dalek story, you know, the ultimate Dalek story of everything that I thought they were when I was a kid, you know, running down corridors, running away from 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 volcanoes with ice, and it was great fun, jungles and invisible Daleks, it was great. And I thought when I was, you know, as, as a sort of mature fan, I thought Doctor Who is too adult for that. And now I just think Doctor Who is anything it wants to be. And, and, and I like stories like that. Chicago TARDIS! Simon Guerrier has written many big finished plays and short stories, uh, featuring almost every one of the 11 Doctors in Doctor Who history. Simon sat down with Dr. Phil for a chat, and this is what he said. This is Dr. Phil, and I'm here sitting with Simon Gurrier, um, writer, editor, extraordinaire for Big Finish and many other things. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, great pleasure. Hello. So you have, um, in addition to Graceless, which is which is out now, you also have um, Prison in Space with the second Doctor. Now it's coming out with the box set from Big That's Finish, right? That's right. right. That's the second Doctor Lost Stories box set. That's right, because they moved to, to doing box sets for the Lost Stories, I think, with the most yes. recent series. Yes, yes. I, I must admit, I don't know what the... What the decision making behind that was—that's that's not my department, but uh, yeah. it's a very beautiful thing. I've just seen the first Doctor Box set, which is a, a beautiful thing that you just want to touch and stroke and fondle. It's well because it's and because it's white. It looks like that recent publication of the, um, the what is it the 
the story of Alexander the Great that was published, the script. Yes. For Great Mas- uh, Farewell, Great Macedon. Wait, yes. No, wait. That's right. Yes. Okay. No, I- sorry. Farewell, Great Macedon. Oh, okay. <laughs> I said Mastodon, sorry. Um, Mastodon is a different thing. That's yes. a large animal. <laughs> now, a d- different story. Now, what was your first involvement? You've written for BBC Books. Yes, the first thing I ever did, my first professional work as a freelancer, was I wrote a feature for Doctor Who magazine in 2002. And that same year, uh, I was commissioned to write a short story for the very first Big Finish Short Trips book. Great. Um, which was a, which was the first thing, the first gig I got when I went to freelance. Uh, and as a result of doing some more work for the short trips books, I got given um, an audio play, a unit audio play that was given away free with Doctor Who magazine, and is now available up for free on the uh, Big Finish website. What's 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 the unit story? It's called the Coup. Yeah. Oh, it's the, oh the, yes, the very beginning of the. It's kind of like episode zero of the episode unit. Episode zero, yes, yes. Oh, that's excellent, um, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, and I got that because the producer of that series had liked some of the short, strip, short trips I'd written which included The Brigadier in them and he basically said would you like to come and write this, this episode um, at the same time as I was doing those I was sending stuff out to BBC Books who I had been since I was about 18 um, and they commissioned a novel which was published in 2005 which is The Time Travelers and I've written several novels since then what what um how young were you when you first became fell in love with Doctor Who? Four. Um, what I, Doctor? My earliest memory of Doctor Who is my earliest memory of anything, which is um, it's the cliffhanger from Full Circle where Tom Baker is crouching in the reeds with K9 watching the marshmallow come up. Oh, brilliant! And that scene haunted me for years. Um, I watched my, I, my elder brother and sister watched Doctor Who, and I'd obviously watched Doctor Who from before I was born and things. Um, when the Doctor regenerated at the end of Logopolis, I was obviously quite confused by exactly what was going on with this. And so my brother nicked upstairs and found his um, copy of the Doctor Who Monster book by Terence Dix. Wow. The, clearly the greatest work of Doctor Who um, publishing ever. Yeah. Uh, just the most exciting book ever. Even now, working on documentaries and things, but with my, my little brother we still go back to that book as this is what the model was for talking about to keep it very simple keep it very exciting keep it very picture based um, really just a masterpiece of writing as a result of that book and the, the back cover was just lots and lots of the target books oh yes um, I basically learned to read because I wanted to read those stories and I wanted to find out about things um, and I devoured Doctor Who books as a kid um, and then discovered through Doctor Who magazine that there were things like writers who were responsible for them. And, and it was as a result of reading Doctor Who books that I thought that's what I want to do. That's, that's, that's the job I want to do. What out of the stories you've written do you think was best realized overall? That just, I mean, I'm sure that you get, you're over the moon when they're, they're producing your stories, but has there been one that has just made you just so ecstatic that you could yeah, almost I, explode? I think, I think the Sarah Kingdom plays are brilliant. I, I really like working with Lisa Bowman as a director. Um, she works very hard, she's done her homework, she's put a lot of thought into it, she makes the sound engineers work very hard. I think Lauren and Jason, who are the sound engineers on the Sarah Kingdom Trilogy, were magnificent. They really up their game, they, they um, produce something that is haunting and, and moving and beautiful. And just the soundtrack, just the, just the music that they wrote, you could quite happily listen to. How did you get the, um, the Sarah Kingdom kind of gig like how did you get that subject to get to tackle um, I uh, 
did a um, documentary where uh, I, I did a documentary. I did a meeting with David Richardson when he first joined Big Finish, where he had taken over the um, the Companion Chronicles series and was talking about things that he'd like to do and people he'd like to do and he was saying that because he I think at that time he hadn't listened to them all yet he was working his way through them and uh, he said um, that he would uh, basically like to do various actors and he was thinking about various things but he'd like to keep the format the same where you have a companion older after they've left the doctor telling a story about when they were with the Doctor. So you have two stories going on at once. One, the story, the untold story of a, of a Doctor Who adventure, but also where that companion is now, what they've done since they left the Doctor. And now, in the, now in, the, in the cause for Sarah Kingdom, she was aged to death. And, that's and, so, and so he said to me, and of course you couldn't do that for Sarah Kingdom, um, because she died, and so you wouldn't be able to tell the story in that way. And to which I just said, kind of off the cuff, well, you could if the story she's telling explains how she can be telling the story and wow <laughs> brilliant uh, you know and you go and if you do that kind of if you if because then you can pay it off and, whatever. and there's actually something quite exciting about the idea that you're going but well, how can she be telling the story and that's that creates a better layer and interest for the audience too yeah exactly and david just went and i just said it as a kind of off the cuff whatever and david said oh yeah definitely let's do that <laughs> and, and i was in so um on that basis i then thought well it's got to be a ghost story um, what are the ghost stories I like well I really like the BBC did some adaptations of the work of M.R. James which I, I really thought was very powerful um, and um, and it kind of went from there really. and that, that's, that's how we used to talk And now, Toby Haydock, who brought the house down on the Saturday night at Chicago TARDIS with another sterling performance of his hit one-man play, Moss Ate by Doctor Who Scarf. Well, I'm sitting here with the Toby Haydock of Moss Ate by Doctor Who Scarf, was in Cyberman 2, and has got a long career of comedy and love of Doctor Who, and... Um, um, we're, we're here at Chicago TARDIS before. What is is this looking like your genuine last performance of Mars? Oh, I say never say never. There seems to be a rumor going around that I'll never do it again. They clearly don't know me because <laughs> if somebody then goes, yeah, yeah, we've got a few quid. <laughs> I go, yeah, all right then. Well, one of the things I noticed when listening to the um, BBC audio version of your show ah. is that you have such a great emphasis on how Doctor Who made you become a parent later because you didn't have that relationship with your own father. I guess yes. It needed that, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm here doing it at a Doctor Who convention, which is lovely, but that wasn't ever in my, in my mind's eye when I came up with the show, which was done first at the Edinburgh Festival. It was, you know, Doctor Who was the umbrella, but it, it always needed to be about something more than Doctor Who. It, needed to, it also needed to be a justification for why we love Doctor Who, not for any um, pious purpose, but, but to explain to people... That had come to see a comedy show, what you know? Why I chosen Doctor Who? It's a comedy show yeah. about Doctor Who, but not you know. It, it works, and the reason it's done well is because it was written to be accessible to people who didn't, who'd never seen an episode of Doctor Who. For a lot of fans who um, grew up during the wilderness years when there was no Doctor Who, it's really telling that when you get to the point in your show where you discuss. The young people being into Doctor Who again and getting to bond with your son over it. Yeah, and you have, and now you have three sons. Yeah, 
Has the show changed with having more children? Well, no, because I, I mean the ending is is sort of where it's at, and I, I mean I've done a I've done a a, a follow up show called Now I Know My BBC, which um, is a similar sort of thing, you know, semi autobiographical, talking about popular culture and how small beautiful things is what life can be all about. <laughs> um, to, to pick up, you know, sort of what's happened since then, because as you'll see, you know, the ending the ending is kind of the ending and needs to. If I add a coda to that, I think it takes away from the impact of what the show is about, which is about having something in your life that, that fills a, a gap, and in my case, a, a father-shaped gap. Now, with your, um, with, with your love of Doctor Who, what was the most, I should say, um, what's your most fanish moment you've ever had in Doctor Who where you were like, oh my God, I cannot believe that I'm here with these people? Oh, well, everything I've done in the past four years. I mean, I do DVD commentaries... Um, you know, I, I, I was welcomed on stage yesterday, and they said, "Please welcome uh, Robert Shearman, Toby Haydock, and Terence Dix." And I'm gonna, those two men have every right to go. We're not being uttered in the same sentence as him. <laughs> Who's he? Um, and you know, there's all of that is is astonishing. I have to say, doing the DVD conference is a great is a great uh, pleasure. But there was one great day when I was doing. I'll take my Doctor Who scarf. At Portsmouth, no, Westcliff, left Westcliff on Sea, which is on the English coast, and I got a text message to say you're going to be on Loose Ends, which is a Radio Four program on Saturday that always has a guest comedian, but it's also quite an illustrious show to get on. So getting on that for the first time was great to do a bit of moth saint my Doctor Who scarf, and my fellow guests included, I was told in this text, Bernard Cribbins. Now that was a nice start. To the, and I just then went in to Westcliff Theatre to do the technical rehearsal and the technician guy was going through everything with me and one of the technical cues mentioned John Abinary, who is a running theme throughout the show, yeah. my doctor's go. and he said, oh, what, what, what John Abinary? I said, yeah, look, it'll make sense when you see the show and he went, oh, was he an actor? and I said, yeah, and he said, uh, yeah, is his son called Seb? and I said, yeah, Sebastian Abinary, who's also an actor he said, oh, he's my mate, he lives down the road and I said, tell him to come tonight don't say it just get him in and we'd sold out so he said alright you'll have to sit in the box with me and he just said look you come and see the show it's about Doc 2 and he went alright I'm not doing anything not knowing that his dad is this sort of running theme which is a the brilliant show. theme in and, the it's, and it's a nice and it's a nice sort of tribute to him it doesn't take the mickey at all you know it's a celebration of his which he would have known nothing about you know and uh, you don't think that when you're writing I just wrote it as you know what it was and uh, had a lovely drink with him afterwards, you know, and he sent me a nice email and said, yeah, my dad would have loved that and thanks and we, we occasionally exchange emails every now and again and that's it's little things like that that are really nice. What are the, what's been some of the most touching things people have said to you about your show throughout the different venues, Doctor Who convention and non-Who convention venues? Yeah, well, it was lovely when I did it in Gallifrey and people, you know, suddenly there was this sort of queue formed of people you, you know, saying, you know, I, I lost my dad last year and that really hit home. And, you know, it's a comedy show. It's there to get laughs. And, and, and if if there are elements to it that, that actually move people, that's, you know, that's a bonus. That's nice. That's good. I think that proves that it's it's of worth more than just a humorous diversion. You know, it's got... There's a lot of heart. I put a lot of myself in, into the show. Um, and also, it was a realisation for me. I not really had much of a social life around Doctor Who. Um, and when I did this show, I did it as a as a stand up comic, not as a Doctor Who fan. And I was doing an hour long show about you know 
Dave Gorman is a, a comic. He's done hour-long shows about Ian Jury, and you know, and, and everyone has these themes, but, but that's the umbrella to express their comic design, you know, ideas and things. And so I use Doctor Who, and so I talked about stuff that was very specific to me, like my memory of actors' names or storing DVDs in chronological order. And da, da, da. now I didn't know if everybody else did that. And the, the, the way I that, totally do that, I have to admit. And, and the way that that works is that it's very useful for non-fans in the audience because they're laughing at what I do, because it is inherently funny, because we have that autistic uh, element to us, I think, Doctor Who fans. Doctor, Ju- certain, Doctor Who gene. There's a certain, yeah. Um, so people that don't have that laugh at it because it's funny, because we are quite odd. And then you get equally strong laughter from people going... I'm laughing at this because that's what I do, but nobody's ever articulated it in front of people before or whatever. So, so that sort of thing served two purposes and made both camps laugh, which is why it works. I didn't realise that when I was doing it. There's no motive when you write a, a comedy show. You write what you hope the most people will find funny, but you don't know until you do it. Listen to the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. And finally, the Doctor Who podcast panel. You'll hear each podcaster introduce himself in the clip, but uh, if you want to watch and listen to the complete panel, head on over to the New Who podcast on iTunes, where they've posted the video of the panel in three segments for your viewing pleasure. All right, so this is our podcasting panel. We'll go across and, and introduce ourselves. How about we do that? Okay. I'm Mike Sims. I co-host Bigger on the Inside with Dan Tolan. Thank you. <laughs> Which can be found at earth2.net. There's a hyphen in there. So, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, Phil Serna, uh, Adventures in Time, Space, and Music, because I thought I got sick of not hearing anything about the music of Doctor Who, so I thought I'd start a show about it. So just Google it. It's too bit long to tell you the URL. I am David Vox Mullen. I am the host of the New Who podcast with my... Thank you. Thank you. With my uh, daughter, Nicole. Who's not on the panel? Who's not on the panel? I'm Ken Deep. I'm one of the three co-hosts of Doctor Who Podshock. Uh, I'm Nick Briggs, and I'm the executive producer of Big Finish, uh, who do the audio adventures of Doctor Who, and we do uh, a weekly podcast, which I seem to nominally be hosting, although it's a little bit chaotic. <laughs> which is why you wound up on, on the panel with us. Yes. <laughs> I'm delighted to be here. And we're grateful. How did podcasts start, and when did they start, do we think? It began, what, maybe about five or six years ago? uh, With the MP3 players taking off and iTunes really taking off. And I regularly describe it as 20 years ago we were doing newsletters and meetups, and now we have websites and podcasts. It's really the 21st century newsletter. The beauty of podcasting is, depending on what you want, there's all sorts of different clients you can use. I mean, of course, there's an array of microphones and and gear you can always get, and some cheaper than others. Um, A lot of people like using Libsyn, which which there's a low-cost and a higher premium-cost version, which I think even comes with um, 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 Apple um, App Store apps. Um, If you are really cheap but already have a web hosting for something else, this is what I recommend is to download WordPress from WordPress.org. You can get the PodPress plugin. You automatically, it can be able to set it up within just a few hours. Really easy. Um, People also use Blogger. They'll actually use WordPress.com so they don't want to actually have to set up their own hosting. So there's lots of options for the different size wallets. 
But this is for hosting, it is. Yeah, it? yeah, for, yeah, hosting services. What do we think about? Um, I know there's some sort of internet radio companies, and you can uh, uh, pay them to, and, you, and it's like a sort of constant streaming, basically. Mm. What do we think of that? <laughs> the thing about the podcasting is it's on demand. It starts and ends at your command. You know, you, yeah. you put it on and you can stop it and start it when you want it. And the number one thing that we hear that I've heard back, feedback-wise, the emails, nine out of ten emails are, you get me through traffic. Yes. <laughs> you know, people get in their car, perhaps, or on the train ride to work, and they put in their earbuds, and they're either getting a dramatic thing, like a big finished product, or a podcast where they're hearing people talk about the news and their opinions and things like that and we're all science fiction fans are very opinionated yes. and even when we don't agree with someone we like hearing a differing opinion we're willing to listen to someone who says I didn't like that but I love that episode why didn't they like it and they love that that give and take how much editing do we all do in the podcast or how you know do you just let it be what it is for a certain amount of time and then put that out when I first started, because um, I have a couple of podcasts, but when I first started, I would just edit out long pauses, ums and uhs, things like that. And then it got to the point where I became a real control freak about it, and I started editing from start to finish. Um, so like, let's say I record for an hour. That'll take me two to three hours to actually edit, just going through. Sometimes I'm taking out tangents. Sometimes it is still just ums and uhs. But all of my programs have a lot of editing to them. Um, but I know there's other programs that don't, and I respect that too. I'm admittedly neurotic because if because I be, having a two year old and not getting any sleep, I stutter a lot when I get excited about things. And I'll sit there and go, "Oh, good, I'm talking about this." Like, God, I sound like an idiot. And then and then you're sitting going, "You got to balance it against the music." I think I did a review of the of the score for the TV movie, and it took me 15 hours of editing for half an hour of podcast, and it was just nuts. Yeah. Do you do it in teams of people, or do you do... Is it mainly just one person talking? <coughs> what do you like to do? My I think podcast, every show's different. Though. Yeah, each podcast is different. I have two other co-hosts, one in the UK, one in New York with me. Um, that other co-host is also the editor. So when you guys speak about editing, I'm thinking, thank God, that's not me. <laughs> but see, you also have to deal with the issue of communicating over services like Skype to get everyone you know, online do. together. It's a whole other monster in itself. Yeah. Yes. It can, yeah, the slide sometimes delay. it falls on a sink. Yes. Um, you, I'll notice if I'm over Skype with someone, sometimes they end up being like a second or two behind me. I'm like, how did that happen? You just so, cut those delays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, you think you've cut a delay and you've got it lined up again, but then you get to like the last half an hour of a show and it's out of sync again. Yeah. It, it's a real pain. We but do. the effort but it, it's, that's it's worth it, though. The Absolutely. effort that that's put into an editing job will be the end result of how good or not good a show is going to be. There are large magazine shows like Podshock, Radio Free Scaro, the Doctor Who podcast, which used to be the BWO Who cast, mm-hmm. um, and then there's also lots of little niche shows. And if you just go down the list in iTunes, you'll see things from the Happiness Patrol, things that, are, that that have the explicit tags, the things that are clean, things that are very short, like Chip's Two Minute Time Lord. You know, there's a, such a variety of, of great views that you know it's a buffet, and not everyone can even um, eat them all because because there's I think um, Stephen at Radio Free Scar point out there's like a hundred new Who podcasts. Mm-hmm. A week. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's, sim- it's similar to back when fandom started exploding here in, in the mid-'80s. There were a handful of journals, a handful mm-hmm. of newsletters or fanzines, and then it exploded. And it's the same thing now, and what happens is the cream rises to the top. The people who are serious about it, who are dedicated, will stick with it and learn and grow. And the people who are doing it 
just dipping their toe in the water, and then maybe they decide it's not for them. When, when Podshock started, it was, um, I remember sitting in, the, in a diner with Lewis and saying, well, how the hell are we going to talk about Doctor Who for 25 minutes? <laughs> and the show has been two hours ever since. You find a way. <laughs> we just, you just start talking. You and, stop. Yeah. yeah and then, but then what happened was everything, because we were one of the first, or the second really, and there was only a handful out, we tried to be everything. We tried to include as much as we could because there wasn't anything out there for people to listen to about Doctor Who. So we wanted to cover audios. We wanted to cover books. We wanted to cover this. And as podcasting took off, more and more people who listened and were hopefully inspired to go and somebody found that they could make a short one, a, you know, short podcasts. One's just on news, one just on the comics, one just on the audios, whatever it was that were filling these little niches. And then it allowed us to just say, well, we can do whatever it is we think is our strengths. We like interviewing people. We like reviewing DVDs or whatever. And you didn't have to worry. I will, jeez, now it frees me up from just covering the comics or something. And it's great because now you have the ability to say, I'm really, really into target novelizations. And there's a podcast for me. (laughs) You know, I'm really into knitting. And there's a podcast. Whatever I find something that I'm newly interested in the first one of the first things i do is go to itunes go i wonder if there's anything about that and i find stuff that that's right up my alley i always take the the opinion that more podcasts are good oh yeah Mm -hmm. that we're all in this together it's all part of a community there's nothing to be i I look at another podcast doing something great and when i watch you sit and hold your microphone in the lobby and i'm standing there going she's like I gotta get off my butt and start doing some interviews. Yeah. I look at that as motivation. I look at what other podcasters are doing, taking the old podcast, the one that's been around for a long time, and kicking us in the rear and saying, "What are we gonna do now to to take it to the next level? How are we gonna grow? How are we gonna get better?" Those things are all excellent. It also takes a lot of weight off your shoulders when you have people specializing in things too. Well, and also, you know, the thing I like about um, some of the shows that go out on the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance, there's different podcasters who all get stuff together and they share it to put out on each other's shows, which is also another good way of, you know, networking and such. But it's just just such a nice way to build goodwill. I think the Alliance is very important Mm -hmm. because it it keeps a dialogue going amongst podcasters that prevents stupidity. And one of the things that we do as fans, unfortunately, this is one of the downsides, is we love creating drama where there doesn't need to be. Just stuff that is... You know, there's just this person said this about this. What? No, it's not about that. We have a great community, Doctor Who. The Doctor Who fan community is fantastic. We have um, a very old community with new people, new blood coming in, people who are into the new things. There isn't negativity here. We go home from this. I come home from a, any convention, and for a week, I'm just. It's just so. Energizing when you go back to your job and you go back to things that had a wonderful experience. Particularly here, actually, <coughs> I find it particularly here. I mean, in this convention, the Chicago one, um, in the in the UK, it's not quite so. And and Los Angeles as well. Yes, Los Angeles yes, is I'd say more so here. But Chicago is definitely the best. Well, I really. <laughs> that. You know, I'm not. But, but that's for people like way, us who live here. So. Yeah. Talking about the sharing thing, I don't know whether you know. You probably do know. We are perfectly happy for anyone to use big finished trailers in their podcasts. I was going to ask you that. Thank you. Absolutely. Your, you know, it's a free thing. Yeah. And you're absolutely welcome to use New Who podcast trailers. Anytime you want. Listen to the Doctor Who podcast alive.
And that's it. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, thanks to Ken Deep and Philip Cerna for all their hard work in letting you in on the Chicago TARDIS experience. Uh, if you want to check out the convention yourself, it takes place every Thanksgiving weekend in Chicago, Illinois. Visit www.chicagotardis.com for more details. For the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance, I am Stephen Chapansky. Bye-bye for now. Thank <laughs> you.